I wish Robert and John were here to hear this because I've been killing it of late. I hope you guys have noticed. I'm more focused. I swear this is true. Getting more done. All because of this thing called Brain.fm. It is music scientifically proven to increase focus. You can try it out for a week. Free trial. And if you use the code Let's Run, lowercase, L-E-T-S-R-U-N, you save 20%. This is like, seriously, if you're struggling, staying focused, this music can also help you go to sleep, relax. I don't understand the science. I just was like, whatever. Someone told me to try this. I love it. One week, free trial. Use the code Let's Run to save 20%. Link in the show notes. You got to check it out. Then once you're more focused, of course you'll want to be a Supporters Club member. You want to hear what happens at USA Indoors this weekend? It's stacked, man. We're going to have a live show right after, but if you want that as a podcast, you got to be a Supporters Club member. We got Nagoose, Hawker, Nur in the 3K, Kessler, Hawker in the 1500, St. Pierre, Hiltz, maybe Addy Wiley in the 1500. The guns are at USA Indoors, Noah Lyles, Christian Coleman. Join today, let'srun.com slash subscribe, the best club in running. And we thank you, all of our supporters who support us, make everything possible. We're going to be at World Indoors. We're going to be at World Cross. At least some of us are. So we appreciate it. Join today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Humongous show for you guys today. We've got a recap of the 2024 Milrose Games, where we saw world records from Devin Charlton in the 60-meter hurdles and Josh Kerr in the two-mile. American records from Grant Fisher, Ellie St. Pierre, and Alicia Monson. Overall, just a terrific day of racing in New York City. We'll break down all the winners and losers for you. We'll also take a look ahead to the U.S. Indoor Championships in Albuquerque, which begin on Friday night. We've got some breaking news. Yara Nagus will be running the 3,000 meters, not the 1,500. What does that mean for the meet? What does it mean for his gold medal chances in Glasgow? If he qualifies, we'll break that down. And it was a sad weekend after Milrose. We learned on Sunday night that marathon world record holder Calvin Kiptum of Kenya has died in a car accident at the age of 24, along with his coach, Jervis Akizimana. We'll reflect on Kiptum's meteoric rise and remarkable 10-month marathon career. Just an awful way to end the week. We will talk about his impact and what he meant to the sport. This is Jonathan Gold. I am joined by... My boss, my co-host, Robert Johnson. Weldon Johnson should be appearing midway through. It's a snow day in Connecticut today, so he's on dad duty. But hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll have the full brain trust at some point. Robert, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well, John. I crushed it on DraftKings on Sunday. Most people were on their Super Bowl butts, but 100 to 1 on my girl, Devin Charleston, set the 60-meter hurdles record. I knew that was undervalued. Actually, I don't think there was Milrose betting. Shows you where our sport fits on the totem pole, but it was a great Milrose Games. I was getting ready for the Super Bowl. 
you guys were still working. Hey, let's run. We value ourselves, pride ourselves in being the last person, people to always leave the, the media area. And you guys called me. And I think you guys were on speakerphone. John said, have you heard the news? And I could tell it was bad. And I think you said from Kenya. And I thought, oh, God. And I was trying to think like what? And, I, and I'm not sure. I, I think at the time I thought only one thing, but maybe it was two, but they're both kind of related. I thought, oh, my God, Kipchoge tested positive. But I might have also thought Kipchoge or Kiptim tested positive. That probably would have been worse for the sport overall, but in terms of personal tragedy, my God. I mean, it's like history is repeating itself. I mean, the, the, the parallels between this and Sammy Wenjuo are, are striking. Like, they're both 24 years of age. They both win Chicago Marathon in their last race. And they both took the marathon to a level that we didn't really think was possible. You know, if you're under the age of 25, you probably don't even remember Wanjuru or appreciate him. But the marathon used to be feared. There was a trepidation about it. And this guy in the heat of Beijing just was like, screw this. I'm going on an Olympic record pace. And just showed no fear. He dies at 24. And now the kept him. I mean, what he was doing in the marathon is crazy. I mean, you, you, you wrote an article up in Let's Run. He only, his marathon career consisted of 10 months. Before him, no one had ever run faster than 60, 30 in the second half of a race. He did it in all three of his races. It's just, it's sad. You know, not only are we going to, you know, as fans, we will never get to see it. I mean, I often see like certain people and I'm like, well, they were made to do that. Whether it's sing, run, whatever. We're never going to get to see this guy run again. And then his family and his kids are never going to see him be a dad again or a husband again. So bummer, right? And, and not, not only that in the Olympics, I mean, one of the most anticipated races was going to be Kiptim versus Kipchoge round one. Kipchoge going for an unprecedented three Pete. Kiptim, you know, who knows if he would have ended the race as the first sub two hour guy official race. I mean, it would have been wild. Yeah, it's profoundly sad. It's sad most of all for his family and for his children. But for running fans, you know, like you said, Robert, this was going to be a fantastic year in the marathon. Kipton was supposed to be going after the first legal sub two in Rotterdam in April. And then we were supposed to see Kiptum and Elliot Kipchoge, the GOAT, race each other for the first time ever in Paris. That would have been one of the most heavily anticipated Olympic marathons ever. It would have been one of the events of the games across all sports. And it's never going to come to fruition. We'll never know how they would have done against each other. Just as we'll never know how Wenjiru would have done against Kipchoge. Semi Wenjiru is one year younger than Kipchoge. Yet they never overlapped. He was dead by May of 2011, and Kipchoge didn't run his first marathon until 2013. But it could have could have been the case they were battling it out throughout the 2010s, and Wanjiru was right there with him. So it's a tremendous loss for the sport. And when I think about this guy, yes, Robert, he he changed the way people attack the marathon. And I don't know if that's because 
more people will follow in his footsteps, or it's just this was a singular talent who was so good at this event that he could run it this way. But he would go out pretty quickly in these races. They still had pacemakers, but he would just slam it home. He would pick it up, and as soon as the paces dropped off, he would actually run faster. You know, he wouldn't be holding on to world record pace. He'd be running much faster than world record pace. 60-15 was his second half in Valencia when he ran 201-53. 59-45 was his second half in London when he ran 201-25. I was there in London that day. Those conditions were not good. It was a little cold. It was rainy the second half. Everyone else in that race was slowing down. Everyone else ran positive splits, men and women, among the top contenders. He ran a negative split by two minutes and closed in 59-45. The women were crawling home. Remember, Susana had been dropped and she ended up winning the race. And this guy looks like he's fresh. Yeah, so it was blowing my mind. I still didn't fully understand how this guy was doing it. We heard his coach came out and said after Chicago, he'd been running 186 miles a week a few times in his buildup before London that he would average 150 to 170 miles a week. Just monster numbers. Like not completely unprecedented because Campbell Evans, some other runners have run that much, but it's rare for runners to run that much in training. It's a lot more than Kipchoge was doing. And I feel like one of the things about Kiptum is that we we didn't fully get to kind of understand or know this guy. He was fairly shy and guarded in his interviews because, again, before December 2022, he hadn't been on the global stage at all, really. You know, he'd run some international races, but the spotlight was not on him. And then 10 months later, he's the fastest marathoner ever. He's got an enormous amount of eyes on him, all that stuff. I think... If a few more years had gone by, he might have got adjusted to that. We'd get to kind of know a little bit more about his training. Some of these details would come out. Some of them would get shored up. As it was, I think there were just there was a bunch of unknowns. And I still, to the degree that we get to know any athlete, I feel like we didn't get to know Kelvin Kiptum that well. It's just sad that this guy's dead so young. As a father, God, I hope I never outlive my son. I, when it happened, I was like, well, we should start a GoFundMe to raise money for his kids. But there are a few larger things about society that to me that are have come out. Like one from a sporting aspect, we should never, when we watch someone, I don't care how good they are, whether it's Michael Jordan, Roger Federer, Kipchoge, say, Tom Brady, this is the greatest. Because... How crazy is it to think that Elliot Kipchoge, as great as he's been, might only be the third best marathoner, you know, when he was competing? Wanjiro could have been better. I don't think Wanjiro would have the discipline of Kipchoge over this long period of time. And Kiptum, it's like Tom Brady will never be passed. Bill Belichick. And now we have Mahomes and Andy Reid in the NFL. And, and the other thing is, I think humans, we don't want to accept that a terrible accident happened. And he died. It's like 40 years after Prefontaine's death or 50 years, we're still trying to figure out what happened and this and that. And the, right now, hot on let's run is his dad says, says someone, some shady characters came around the house. Like I highly doubt that the shady characters had anything to do with this car accident. But I, I just think that like we as humans, we, it's just, we don't want this like just to hear some 
you know, we don't want to have some random thing like you're walking down a street and a tree fell on you and that's it. But this guy moved the needle. I mean, it was in the Baltimore Sun on Monday. Shocked. He was like right there. Yeah. Marathon world record holder dies. He He's the marathon world record holder. He's the first man to run under 201. He And he was in the prime of his life. You know, he was, this is an Olympic year. It is going to be a big deal. And yeah, Robert, that is what happens. People want an explanation. They like to have structure and order and they like to have things make logical sense to them. That's why people go to religion, you know, to explain the universe. And that's why 60 years on, people are still trying to figure out John F. Kennedy. Wait, it can't just be as simple as one crazy guy shot him. You know, they want a real explanation. They want some sort of order placed upon this one-off event. But usually, you know, that's the, that doesn't always come, doesn't always happen uh, in the world. And you just kind of, kind of live to, learn to live with that, unfortunately, sometimes. And I only get myself when I go into politics, but it's worth pointing out that both parties in the United States of America in the last two elections have, instead of just accepting that like, oh, more people voted for the other guy and the way we count the votes, it's like, no, Russia must have elected Trump and uh, they rigged all the ballots and the voting machines to elect Biden. All right. If you're new to the show, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, unlike Google, we want to hear from you. We actually have a phone number. Give us a call. If we play your voicemail. We'll send you a free shirt. 844-LETS-RUN, 844-538-7786. By the way, if you want a new shirt, go to shop.letsrun.com. The long sleeves are super soft. Everything's super soft, but just you want to sleep in these long sleeves at night. And if you haven't joined the Supporters Club, you need to join it now. We have a bonus podcast, a second podcast every week. This week, we're doing live 7 p.m. Eastern, Saturday night, right after USA's Indoors ends. But if you can't catch it live... Only way to catch it again would be to be a supporters club member. So go to letsrun.com slash subscribe today. It's like 30 cents a day. Think about it. What if you blown, you blew $3 on a bag of chips today? That would be 10 days of Let's Run, which is more important to you, which is more healthy for you. All right, let's move on to exciting stuff, John. More upbeat stuff. The 116th Millrose Games were held at the Army in New York City on Sunday. You were there, as was Weldon Johnson, who is now off his snow dirty parenting duty and has joined us. Great meet, two world records, a bunch of American records. I've graded some of the stars for my week that was column, but I haven't held off on publishing because I don't want to get in trouble. So I'd like to go through a couple of these people and see what you guys think. I'm going to ask you your grade and tell you what I gave. But... Maybe I should start with Weldon. You were there. What was the highlight? Being there. The highlight? The men's two-mile. Josh Kerr taking down Grant Fisher in the two-mile, breaking the world record. Yeah, has to be. That was the race of the day for me as well. And overall, this is just a fantastic meet. I mean, my big takeaway was the stars came to play. It's an Olympic year. People are in shape. Cole Hawker ran 8.05 and got smoked in this race. He he really has nothing to be ashamed of. Like, a lot of these guys are just in good shape, but he lost to a guy who holds American records in the 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, and now two miles, and the reigning world champion in the 1,500. Like, if the reigning world champion in the 1,500 
is in really good shape, it's going to be very hard to beat him in a two mile. So a lot of these guys and gals are in really good shape right now. And some of the some of them lost, but I think there are a lot of people who can come away from this meet with their head held high and feel pretty optimistic about their futures. The one thing I will also say, if you want a world record in a women's hurdle event, make sure Weldon Johnson isn't there watching it. Because for the second time in three years, I've been in a meet, I've been in the same year, Weldon's been at the meet, and he has come up to me and said, I missed that world record in the women's hurdles. He, The supporters club gathering at the 2022 World Championships ran long, so he missed the semis of the women's 100 hurdles in Eugene when Toby Amason ran 12-12. And then the very first event of the TV window at Milrose started just after 1 p.m. Devin Charlton of the Bahamas ran a world record of 6.7, 6, sorry, 7.67 in the 60 hurdles, Weldon comes up to me a couple of minutes later. He's like, I didn't see it. So Weldon, what's your excuse this time? I have a good, much better excuse this time. Elliot Denman, a New York, a member of the New York Pioneer Club, was here at the age of 90 working in the media. I can't reveal that Elliot might have missed it too. I mean, the guy's got a cane. The media room can't see the track this year. They have a TV screen up. I'm talking to Elliot about the New York Pioneer Club, learning the history of the sport. He's just shaming me left and right. I, John, I don't even know the names. He's like, you know this person? Nope, never heard of him. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Like guys from the 50s and 60s. He's talking about the garden selling out all the time and the Pioneer Club and the exclusionary policies in New York AC. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I had no idea about. And I'm, I'm getting an education lesson here. They have the stream of the USATF stream up. And once that ends and, and the primetime NBC coverage comes on at 1 p.m., there is no coverage on the thing. I feel like I was trying to get the TV on for Elliot so he could watch the meet. I assume he's not going to be moving back and forth. I think if anyone at the age of 90 can watch the meet and TV and then do a little reporting afterwards, it's him. I don't know. I went back. I finally went back on that room 45 minutes later. Elliot wasn't in there and the TV still wasn't on it. So. We failed in all fronts. <laughs> so uh, the casual fan might say the world record, but I think every Let's Run fan will say the highlight of the meet was the men's two mile. Uh, it would have been a little better if, if Josh had gone under eight flat, but it was a fabulous. I mean, it's still a world record. So great. Great race. Yeah, they were both world records. I mean, technically, Kurz is a world best, but, you know, it, the hurdles thing was kind of remarkable to me because... That world record has stood since 2008. And I, I think a lot of people, I did know it, by the way, I knew who held the, held the world record previously. But I'm sure many people didn't know that Susanna Kaller of Sweden held this thing because it was from so long ago and she wasn't exactly like a, a star outdoors. So Devin Charlton, who was fourth at Worlds last year in the 100 hurdles, got it in the first race of the year. It was a cool interview. She said her parents had flown in for this one from from Bahamas. We we can talk about that maybe a little later. Let's talk about this two mile though, or I guess Robert, you want to give the grades out, so that's a good way of going through every event. So let's start with Josh Kerr. I'm assuming Josh Kerr, I, I would give him an A, if not an A plus. I mean, this guy was incredible. Like, think about what he did. All right, end of November, he's announced as headlining the two mile, 
And he calls his shot right then. He says, I'm going for the world record. 803.40 by Mo Farah from 2015. That equates to around a 727 with 3,000 meters. So it's a pretty lofty goal. And Josh also doesn't know, like, he's saying, I'm going to break the world record on February 11th. He's saying this in November when he actually doesn't really know how his next two months of training is going to go. So he calls out his world record shot. It gets people talking about the race. A bunch of other good guys join the race. Grant Fisher is one of them. So then good guys join the race. Grant Fisher is one of them. After something fast, record shape. Hangs on Grant Fisher for 3,000, almost 3,000 meters and runs 8 flat point six seven, which is a fantastic time, much faster than what he ran in this race last year. He ran 7.33 here last year. I was like, 803, that's a little aggressive. Turns out he knew what he was talking about. Called a shot two months out and delivered. I, I think I think that's an A-plus in my book, Robert. Great minds think alike. Alike, because it's equivalent to 724.90 for 3,000. I mean, the 7.33 last year shocked us. And now he's another almost 10 seconds faster than that. So uh, I wrote a plus. I said, yes, he's not close. Some people are saying it's not close to what to Jakob's almost unfathomable 754.1 that he ran this summer, last summer. But I said, Kerr's never going to be as fit or as a healthy Ingebrigtsen. The goal is to be fit enough that you can hang with him when you're benefiting from a second O-lap of drafting off of him and then how kick him like he didn't do to Budapest. So this was a great performance for him. A plus. Grant Fisher, the runner up, he led this race for basically 29 for all but the final 300, basically. Got destroyed the final 300. And I'm not going to lie. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to balance, I don't want to bias you, John. What type of grade do you think Grant Fisher deserves? Well, I, I, I will buy it too. I'll say, as a fan, as an American fan, watching Fisher get destroyed by almost three full seconds over the final 300 meters was kind of depressing. I wasn't the only one. It made some question if Fisher will ever win a big race. Well, I can't give him anything lower than an A minus. He ran 803.62. He missed the old record by a tenth of a second. This is his first race under his new coach. Clearly, he's still very fit. He smashed the American record. And the guy he lost to is the reigning world champion in the 1500 who drafted off him the whole time. And I'm not, I'm not faulting Josh Kerr for that. I think it's the smart thing to do. But I I think it's an A- minus or an A. Like, this was really good. And, I, like, what? You, you want Grant Fisher to outkick the reigning 1500-meter world champion? He's never been, like, the most amazing kicker to begin with. So I, I think you have to – I think it's an A for me. I gave him an A minus, and I said giving Fisher a B plus would be an injustice. If Kerr, think about it this way: if Kerr wasn't in this race, Let's Run would be raving, absolutely raving about the gunsy front running Fisher who sold himself to a world record and dominant two plus second victory in a race that would have made Steve Prefontaine proud. Also, Fisher ended up being the world's greatest rabbit and sent the fans home proud because they got to see a world record. So. Yeah, A minus or A, no doubt. But I did post on the message board. I was like, man, maybe he should have just tried to sit on Kerr. I mean, I know the whole point is to get the record. People have been mad. But I'm like, he's got to work on his kick. He's never going to be able to just blast people 
he's never going to run away from the field, the 5,000, right? So and he, he's going to work on his speed. People are like, come on, dude, trying to outkick the world 1,500 champion is stupid. I'm like, well, no, that's what he got to get better at. But I've rethought that. I think actually the best way to get a better kick is to get in better shape. If you're just less tired at the end of the race, then you have a better kick. So I do think him grinding the pace, this is what he needs for the 10,000, which is coming up. I think it's absurd that he has to run the 10,000 to get a qualifier. Like they, the World Athletics should be rewarding this guy, you know, send him to World Cross Country and give him the 10,000 qualifier. But- yeah, I think the, the thing about Grant is I look at someone like, do I think Barrega has more pure speed than Grant Fisher? Probably. Does Jakob Ingebrigtsen, another one of his threats in the 5,000? Yes. But I also think yeah, if he like can Grant Fisher run a fifty-two second four hundred meters, of course he can. And his like you said, Robert, I think it is just about getting strong enough to where he's able to do that at the end of the race, particularly in a in a ten thousand, um, which has been historically his more successful event on the global stage. So I don't th- like I wouldn't call Grant Fisher a kicker. I'm not sure. But I don't think he needs to be necessarily to to earn a medal in the five thousand or especially the ten thousand. He needs to be at the bell, feeling good and ready to close. You know, feeling strong enough to close in fifty two or fifty three high. Uh, oh, sorry, fifty two or fifty three. And I, I think he's. I think he can do that. I mean, this is crazy good running all the way around. Josh Kerr can run seven twenty four for three k. That's the conversion. I mean, last year, like you said, John, we thought what seven thirty three was good for him. This has started to make, make me, you know, I'm like, wow, is Josh essentially like Jakob? I mean, does Jakob need to be getting worried? But then somebody pointed out, like, there's comments on the YouTube. They're like, Jakob ran 7.54.10 last year. Granted, it was outdoors. But that's better than Coleman 7.20 when you convert it. it Converts to 7.18. So... Also, the shoes. Like, let, let's get there. The times don't mean what they used to mean. Anything sub 725 used to be like, there weren't any sub 725s, essentially. And now they're sort of every year we're, we're seeing them. It was Komen El Garouche. I think that was it. And now Josh Kerr is in the club. But still, big picture. I don't care if there's, this was a downhill track at Milrose. Josh Kerr just took down Grant Fisher at a two-mile. He's way better than he was last year. He's delivering on the promise. He's hungry. Like, look out. The guy looks like a different runner. You know, like, it's... You know, I expect him now to challenge Jakob Ingebrigtsen. I don't expect him to win, but I expect it to be a damn good challenge. No, this was... I think this was a big deal. And if... Look, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, I don't think, gets sort of scared of that sort of thing. But if I was in his shoes, I'd be worried by this result because I'd be like, wait a minute, this guy is now even stronger aerobically than he was last year. Um, Because the whole thing is like Ingebrigtsen, he's banking on, if he uses the strategies used the last couple of finals, being stronger aerobically that he can just drop everyone. And then a kick doesn't really factor into it because he's already broken everyone or they're kicking when they're tired in a 1500 final. And if Josh Kerr, now granted he had a lot of advantages, you know, you get super spikes that everyone has, but he also had Grant Fisher rabbiting him essentially for the entire second half, which 
Jakob did not have that when he ran his two miles. But all that is to say, like, you know, you look at Ingebrigtsen, and it's like, damn, this guy's going to be even harder to drop than he was before. And <laughs> that's not a good thing. It makes the race more exciting. But I don't know. I'm really interested in, Robert, maybe this is the time we bring up this article you dug up. It was from last week, but it had some quotes about Ingebrigtsen, his approach to the 1500, and whether it you know, continue to run from the front, even after getting beat. I thought this was fascinating uh, stuff from what Jakob Ingebrigtsen had to say. If if you missed it, essentially, he was asked by a couple of Norwegian media outlets, you know, will you continue to run from the front? And then th- this was an exchange, I'm quoting from VG here. They said, he th- you know, it is something very few have managed, and the day I have managed to do it, you are not only the best, it is quite obvious that you have exposed yourself to much more than everyone else and yet you win. That was running a 1,500-meter global final from the front and leading the whole thing wire to wire and winning. But then, some, you know, he's tried this in the last three global finals he's been in, World Indoors 2022, World in- Outdoors 2022, World Outdoors 2023. He's gotten beaten all of them. So the question was put to him, and I love the translation here, but is it pure idiocy to do it in such a way rather than a cheaper way. And Jakob's response, I think the reason why so few have succeeded is that they are not capable of it. And the reason more people don't try is because they don't have enough balls. It's a delicate balance between idiocy and doing something unique. And part of me loves this. I'm like, all right, he's just trying to do it in the hardest way possible and win. I, I like it. But I'm part of the other part of me is like, is he doing it because he's got more balls than these guys? Or is he doing it because... He knows his kick isn't quite good, and this is how he has to do it in order to win. What do you guys make of this exchange? How did I miss this quote? How is this not quote of the day? This is unbelievable stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure, John, he thinks he can win if he tries it another way. But also trying it his way still takes a lot of balls. No doubt that. I, I won't, I'll give him respect. That is a hard thing to do, and I have a lot of respect for him. Because most milers, no matter how bad their kick is, and I'm not saying he's a bad kick, but there's questions about it. They think they'll oh, kick everyone at the end. He's never even tried it. He's never tried it. Right? Well, 2021 Olympic final, he kind of got into second and sat on chariot. So that, was, that wasn't a kicker's race. He ran 328. But yeah, he hasn't been like, oh, I'll just come from way behind, you know, in a global final. There was another aspect to this quote. We'll link to this thread, links to the articles in the show notes. The others are just trying to have a good race and beat each other. I don't just want to win. I want to win overwhelmingly. Now, as I point out, look, he doesn't front run the 5,000. He sits and kicks on people. Now, someone says that Anger Britson's acknowledged that. He says he would like to front run the 5,000. But it's interesting. Walden asked if Kerr was another Anger no, I think he's a hybrid of, of Ingebrigtsen and Whiteman. I mean, Kerr's endurance, I mean, come on. He would get destroyed in a world-class 5,000, whereas Ingebrigtsen seems almost unbeatable in that. But, you know, and he, but he's, he's, Kerr's not a real speedy guy. His 800-meter PB is only a second faster than Ingebrigtsen. It's like 145 versus 146, whereas, you know, Whiteman is a 143 guy. Centrowitz, who famously won Olympics from the front, but in a slow race, is a 144 guy. So I, 
it's just this it, is what makes the event so fascinating. The fifteen hundred. We know who's going to be there. It, it's short enough; no one's going to get dropped. But well, I guess he's trying to break everybody. I was, I've been asking John Kellogg in the office, like, if we were coaching him, what would we tell him to do? And John's like, well, normally in the fifteen hundred, it doesn't even matter if it's slow. It's like normally just they can still finish in the same order of their personal best because the speed doesn't matter that much. So people are a little bit less tired, but. I'm like, well, you don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I wouldn't jog around, but I, I actually think, I don't know. I was telling John on the phone today, like, what if Ingrid Brinson doesn't push the pace? Let somebody else push it for a lap or two. Let Kip Sang push it. Let Nagoose push it. I don't think Nagoose wants it to go out in 63 or something like that and then take over. Or you could actually, I, I think there was something to be learned from Nagoose's race in Milrose today. They went out super fast, like 152, but then they ran like a 59.8. Like they basically ran 60. And these two guys were sitting on the goose. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to get out kicked. And no, he closes in like 26 and just runs away from them. So Jakob could also go out hard and then rest and then try to outkick, you know, like um, Kerr. I, I don't think Kerr's speed is so much greater than Ingebrigtsen that he doesn't have a chance. Like if he just sits on Kerr and tried to outkick him. Now he, he's never done that. And they don't get that many chances to, to practice it. But, you know, it, it, it's pretty interesting. So, Let's talk about the, 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 we don't want to make a whole another, whole another podcast about Ingebrigtsen. Men's mile. What, Robert, I do think if we tried to kick out, we just said, here's our weekly 15 minute Jakob Ingebrigtsen podcast. People would, li- I actually think people would listen to that, especially if he's just going to be this quotes gold mine that he's been during the entire off season. Like this has been the most amazing 1500 meter off season we've had in years between Ingebrigtsen and Kerr. And I actually love it. Kerr, Kerr is even like, hey, I just say these things and, you know, you put me in front of a joke. He essentially said, like, Whiteman had an interview last week and you put us in front of a microphone for an hour. At some point, we're probably going to let our guard down and say something interesting and then people get headlines. But he's all for it. He's not, like, complaining, oh, you guys, you're taking this massively out of context. You're drumming up some controversy. He's kind of understands some of its little, you know, out-of-control media hype. But he's also like, look, I'm, I like it when people get excited about the sport i like that people are talking about my events this is good for me it's good for my sponsors he's all for it so i commend him for that and i think he he has helped make the sport more inter- interesting uh between what him and ingebrigts have been saying this offseason well there's another guy that hopes to be in the mix this summer american yard Nagoose. sunday he went for the world record in the mile and came up short ran the third fastest in a mile ever 347.83 well, then what type of grade do you think I should have given him? He still gets an A, man. I gave him a B plus. Oh, come on, man. He he dominated the race. He ran one of the fastest indoor miles ever. He broke he didn't break the world record, so he's he won the race convincingly and he's getting knocked off. Like, what would he have had to do to run an A get an A plus? Like run three forty four? To me, A is, I'm a hard grader. I'm a former high school math teacher. A is excellent. B is good. C is fair. This was a pretty good race. It wasn't excellent. And maybe we should blame the lack of pacing lights. I'm, I'm shocked this beat doesn't have pacing lights. By the way, I'm kind of opposed to pacing lights in the final 400 of any race. I think they should turn them off and let them race the clock. But, you know, the pace really lags here. I think if there's pacing lights, maybe it doesn't lag. But I said expectations are a bitch, aren't they? Josh Kerr called a shot delivered. Yair Deguz did not. I said his final 200 was impressive. But 
Yeah, so I guess anything short of it, he he basically only he basically either gets an A plus or a B plus in this race. It's just so interesting how things have changed. Robert Weldon captured this well in the recap, but you know, Nagus coming in last year, he runs three forty seven three, and had, I mean, his last two hundred was phenomenal. It was even faster. It was like you know twenty five nine or whatever. This one, it's twenty six point six for you know from four from fourteen hundred to sixteen hundred they do splits from the start of the race instead of the from the start line instead of the finish line at Milrose. But anyway, he only runs half a second slower. Still runs three forty seven, still wins the race comfortably, still has a good kick. But it's like, well, you know, if you had this in a vacuum, like if last year didn't happen, we'd be freaking out. It'd be like an American just ran three forty seven in the mile indoors. Like this is incredible, but now Nagus is just so good. That's kind of where the expectations are for him. That we know how good he is. He's run three forty three outdoors. We expect them to show up and did what he did. So he he fulfilled. I mean, I guess he didn't fulfill the expectation if that was a world record, but he he did what we're used to seeing from him. And it's just the level he's at the last year is so high that he has to do something crazy like break a world indoor world record to surpass that. All right, I gave Hobbs Kessler, the 20-year-old American who ran 348 and got second, I did give him an A. He said this is equivalent to a 331. It's an outright PB for him. You know, he's doing amazing. He can buy his first beer in one month. The last person in the mile that I ranked was Cooper Tier. 353 in the mile. Eighth place. What's your grade, guys? I got to give him a C. I mean, this guy's a U.S. outdoor champion. He's run three. He ran 350 when he was in college three years ago. Now, to be fair to Cooper, I did talk to him after the race, and he said, you know, they're like, we haven't run anything under, you know, we haven't run any 400s under 60 second pace in practice. We haven't run any 200s under 28. He just says they're kind of in a strength block. So that's kind of his explanation. He felt like, yeah, he wasn't quite ready to really rip like a really super fast mile right at this point. And so that's kind of his explanation. But no, he he got crushed by guys he's going to need to be competing with. Like he, he got beat by a second and a half by Casey Comber, you know? People who are going to be racing against him in his event later in this year at the Olympic trials destroyed him. So I, I don't think you can give him anything higher than a C. Yeah, I gave him a C minus. Said I'm a harsh grader. D is disappointing. C is fair. This is between the two. For all the reasons. I mean, he's 350 in high school. But I don't think it really matters. I think it's good that he's working on his strength. I mean, I thought he was in good form because he won the U.S. cross-country title a few weeks ago. But if he's not working on his speed, he's doing what Jerry Schumacher wanted him to do, which is get stronger. But if you're looking for reasons why Jerry thought he was a 5K guy, you've gotten it in the last two weeks. After destroying Cooper, Cole Hawker, his training partner, in the 10th at the USA Cross Country Championships, he got beat badly by Hawker in the 1,000 at Virginia Tech last week. And now he only, you know, he, he went for it. He went out hard, 153, and then he just kind of blew up in this race. But, like, this is a guy that during the COVID, you know, when COVID came on, he made a video about him breaking 150, like, He's kind of a poor man's Ingebrigtsen. Uh, his speed's not good. When he goes out that hard, he's kind of in trouble if he hasn't been working on it. So I gave him a C-. Um, 
All right, for the women. Wait, wait, can we say one more thing about Hobbs Kessler? Because this guy is a 20-year-old American who just ran 348 in the mile. Again, this is these are things like we know how talented he is, but that still kind of blows my mind. I know mile times have been inflated a little recently, but like a 20-year-old, this guy would be a junior in college right now and just ran 348. It's a phenomenal run by him. I wanted to get your take, Mr. Former Ivy League, eight-time track and field champion coach, Robert Johnson. Oh, sorry. We're counting indoors as well. Zero-time Pep's cross-country champion coach. Um, He was talking about he's overhauled his training, Hobbs Kessler, that he would go on eight to 10 mile training runs and would like his words were bonk. You know, he'd feel tired at the end of those runs. And then rather than continue keeping them in his training system, he'd just eliminate them. And now they're trying to do all, most, a lot of his miles is in doubles. He won't really run more than about seven miles in a session, but he'll double basically every day except for his off day. And what he said is that's left him feeling more refreshed. They can do a little bit more quality. Um, they can do more lifting and he's feeling like overall, he's like, I'm actually running more miles than ever, you know, 75 to 90 miles a week. He said, but just, they don't do basically they do zero long runs and they try not to run beyond seven miles unless it's like a travel day and he has to do one run and can't break it up into two. What do you make of this training system? I saw that and was fascinated by it. And I meant to ask John Kellogg, who was my right-hand man at Cornell, what he thought, because I remember asking him one time, like, well, a 10-mile run is better than two five-mile runs, right? And he's like, well, there's some added benefits to breaking it up. So, I mean, in theory, normally it would be, but A, you're fresher. B, you're, 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 it's not that much better, and, and your odds of injury go way down. So, actually, this kind of confirms my theory that everybody can run 100 miles a week. Just go run 45 minutes twice a day. If you're that fast, that'll be well, – well, that'd be 90 miles a week for, well, might have to run a little bit more. But yeah, he's not training for the 5,000. I don't know why he really needs a big long run. I, th- I think that's overrated. So feeling fresh, it kind of reminds me, to be honest, what Grant Fisher's doing, a version of himself for the 5 and the 10. He's doing a lot of the same workouts as Jerry, but breaking it up into smaller segments. Obviously, he's running more, though. No, it's it's the same, I think, framework. Hobbes called it bro science or a little bro science, which I thought was funny. But I think it's the same logic behind why people have done double threshold. Why are they doing two threshold sessions a day instead of one longer one? It's because you can get more total volume, but you're splitting it up into two sessions. And I think that's basically the same thinking behind all of his runs here is you can get more total volume, but you're doing it in a more sustainable way. You can actually, you know, you're not doing it rather than doing one 12 mile run in the afternoon. You can do a seven mile morning run and a seven mile afternoon run and you get a little bit more total. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's very interesting. Obviously the results are working really good. He just beat Jake Whiteman last week. He just ran 348 this week. I'm curious to see how this goes the rest of the year. I trust that Ron Warhurst is a pretty good coach. He's been around the sport quite a long time. I don't think he'd just launch into this and give Hobbs the green light if he hadn't, you know, given it some thought. The only thing is, like, I I would always I was always told growing up as a runner, like, oh, you need the long run. Like, you get specific certain benefits from these runs 
that are over an hour in duration or like a long run, you know, over 90 minutes, you might get these specific aerobic benefits. And I'm not really a sports scientist, so I can't tell you exactly about those. But but then again, this is the 1500 he's training for and not the 5,000 or 10,000. So is it as important? I don't know. That's This is above my pay grade. This is why I need to start my coaching column. It'd be the perfect question for John Keller. Because he did used to say there's a magical benefit to running at least one hour. And I did have a great mile. Andy Miller made a huge breakthrough one year by I said, man, you're in incredible shape. What did you do all summer? He's like, I only had time to run once a day. So I ran the same 15-mile loop every single day of the summer. Just 15 miles, that was it. Nothing else. Did you give Cole Hawker a grade, Robert? I did not. Somebody care to give him a grade? Or you just want me to have the honors? You haven't taught that much recently, Weldon, so go ahead. A or A plus. I just was doing the math. This converts to 729. And also, if you go to Cole Hawker's World Athletics page, this is the best run of his life. I'm not sure how their scores work. I've never bothered to figure it out. But... Well, they also have two 350 miles better than his 330.70 at the Olympics. In the world, excuse me, in the world championship final. But 805.70 for him. His previous best in 3K was 739. And it's, it's kind of like Kerr. It's like almost essentially 10 seconds better than he's ever done before. I mean, it, I think it means great things for him going forward. So it'd be interesting to see what he does. One of the miles, world championships in the miles looking wide open. And now it's today. Yara Goose isn't doing the 1500. So who is in the 1500 at the Worlds? TBD. I mean, maybe Josh Kerr, but Josh Kerr might also do the 3K instead. Uh, Hobbs Kessler running the 1500 at USA's. So he'll be battling with... Cole Hawker is in both events. He's ended in the 3K and 5K. Um... But then, like, I was thinking, oh, maybe Nordas will do it. But Nordas's first race did not go well last week. He only ran 337, got smoked. So it's going to be fascinating. Sam- oh, wait. It's 1500? Why are we even debating this? Well, then, no, yes, Samuel Tefera, baby. Ethiopia, three P. <laughs> He's in shape. I mean, just hand him the gold medal now. Um, kind of joking, but that guy's a gamer. He'll be there. Kerr Cur- was supposed to make a decision after the race, John. Yep. Uh, haven't asked him like today specifically, but I imagine he'll have some sort of, you know, announcement coming this week. Now, Cole Hawker, I agree with, I agree with you. I think it's an A and you might say great inflation. We're only so far. The only guy who didn't finish in like the top one or two or three in Hawker's case that we talked about was Cole, was Cupertia. Like there were a lot of really good performances in this race. So 805, Cole Hawker, yeah, I do think that's an A. Especially for two reasons. One, just like it's a really fast time. But two, do you guys see who he outkicked in this race? No. Jordy Beamish. Jordy Beamish. Now, Jordy Beamish, I didn't talk to him after the race, but he had a very interesting nugget in his interview with Sidious. When do you think the last time Jordy Beamish has been passed on the last lap of a race was? Never. You think his entire running career, he's never been passed? Sophomore year of high school. 
Okay, you guys are even, those causes are even more ridiculous. You're making this seem less impressive when in fact it's still a ridiculous stat. No, it was July 2019, Sunset Tour meet in a 1500. Do you know who passed him on the last lap of that race? He ran 338, finished sixth. Cole Hawker. No, that was the race when the guy had a huge last lap. Was that Centro? The answer is Donovan Brazier. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's how long ago it was. So, I just thought this was really interesting because I was like, wait a minute, Cole Hawkins is out kick Beamish. Like no one outkicks Beamish. Beamish is always passing people from he doesn't always win because he'll be coming from far back sometimes, but no one passes him. Then I also found out, well, he miscounted the laps. Jordy Beamish for his penultimate lap dropped a twenty six point six nine. And then he still somehow held on to run 28.32. Sorry, yeah, 28.33 for his last 200. This shows Beamish has this b- a big kick at the end because he's not kicking hard enough. He's not going to well. He's got more in the tank than he thinks. You should not be able to run a 28 if you thought you were exhausted at the finish line right there. You see other guys running like 32s and stuff like that. I guess it's only 200 more meters, but that's kind of surprising. No, this is amazing. This is what we've wanted. Like, why doesn't this guy try harder? Why doesn't he... Go sooner. Why can't he hang on? This shows he could. This is stunning. He held it. Like, you see these other guys, they mistime it. Now, maybe he had realized right before, you know, I don't, it's not, John, we didn't see him stopping at 200. So it's a slightly different situation. Maybe at some point he realized. Yeah, it, yeah. If I'm Ritz and coaching him, I'm like, man, you've been exposed right here. You need to go well harder. Now, it is amazing how Hawker always, he's known for having a huge kick, right? He's only a 146 guy. So it's not just about your aim. Yeah, well, Robert, you, I, you only think of people, whether they can kick or not, in terms of their 800-meter PB. Like, you need to embrace a more holistic view of the sport. Cole Hawker is a good kicker. He runs, doesn't run the 800 meters very often. So neither does Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Like, just boiling someone, their kicking ability down to their 800-meter PB is not going to work unless they're running it all the time. And even then, it's not always a perfect measure. I just don't think these guys' speed is that much greater than Ingebrigtsen's, except for I think Whiteman's is. Before we turn to the women, one point of order. Christian Coleman won the men's 60. Pre-race. I was doing an interview with him. I was talking about his comeback and how he's training the year off. He's like, I don't want to talk about that. I said, Christian, I said, Noah Lyles last week. And then he said, just turned around and walked off. Then at the meet, after John... Coleman's doing like a group interview. John just walks up, starts filming, and he's like, sorry, sir. I don't want you here. Um, so that's sort of going on. But we, we spoke to his agent or assistant agent, um, Daniel. What's his last name, John? Escamila. So we just said, hey, look, we just want Christian to know we're not out to get him. We're trying to do our job. He understood. He, he was sort of grateful about it. So hopefully that situation improves. Because... Uh, the story for Christian Coleman this year, I, actually, he's the one guy my daughter's seen run because I was like watching the phone and I always told her about fast, fast, fast. And I'm, I, I'm like, oh, the men's 60. I put it on and Christian Coleman won the race. And she's like, that guy's fast, daddy. If he can do anything at the Olympics, the storyline going in is going to be, I mean, a lot of the storyline will be Noah Lyles. He'll get asked about Noah Lyles, but it also will be, you're coming back. You missed the last Olympics. How does that feel? That is the story arc for him. Like whether maybe he doesn't want to talk about it, but that's 
you can turn that into a redemption story and it would be an amazing redemption story. So, and then I think also like, what are we seeing with Kurt Ingerbitson? They're embracing the rivalry. So you embrace Noah Lyles being in your event and taking him on, trying to beat him. That's my, would be my advice. Right. The Lyles question was totally fair. It's a it's, Anyone should be asking him. Noah Lyles, who's one of his biggest rivals, just ran a huge PB in Coleman's best event. And now they're going to race next week at USA's. It's natural to ask him what he thought of that race. And the stuff about 2021 and his suspension, I can understand Coleman not wanting to dwell on that. And if that's the case, I think you just say, hey, um, yeah, I've moved past it. He was asked plenty of questions about this stuff in 2022 and 2023 when he returned to the sport. So I can't understand if he's sort of fed up about talking about it at this point. But when you get to Paris, you know, if he's running well in Paris, people it's naturally people are going to be asking about that because it is part of his story, whether he wants it to be or not. So yeah, we didn't get a chance to interview him on Sunday. That's why uh, we'll see. I expect he'll make the team in Glasgow. Expect he'll run well there. We'll see if he's changed his mind by then, but that's the explanation on that situation. If he tells me to leave the mix zone, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I'm just doing my job. I'm not going to leave. You don't need to make yourself the story, Robert. No, I think I think the one thing I should have done is at least ask him why he was he was declining this interview when he was talking to everyone else. It would have been nice to have the reasoning, but these athletes, I can't force an athlete to talk to to me. If they don't want to talk to me, I can respect their wishes, but yeah. most athletes don't do that. When he walked off, I was just sort of like, whatever. Then I'm like, wait, there's a personal. I should have gone, hey, man, like, the camera's down. I'm not out to get you. I'm just trying to do my job. Like, if there's some issues, can you please tell me what I'm doing? Because, like, everybody wants constructive feedback. And, you know. I'm, uh, well, instead, it's not about me. I, I didn't make it about me. All, all, I think the reason why he's disliking you guys is because I, on the podcast, said when he initially missed the three tests, and got off on a technicality, I said, people are going to doubt him, and he needs to take a drug test. If I was him, I would take a drug test every day for the rest of my career to prove to people I was clean. And his dad didn't like that and went onto the message board and said I was an irresponsible hack. Well, I was kind of validated because he then proceeded to miss a test by going to Chipotle and be suspended. So I don't understand why they're mad at me. Like What I said was like factually true, and now the doubt about him is even higher because he was suspended. But just because like, it's like modern society, you're not supposed to point out anything that's negative about somebody. And I guess there are other media outlets that just don't do it. So whatever. All right. It was a snow day for Weldon. So we delayed the podcast so he could be on it. I'm going to have to leave soon. To pick up my son from school. Maybe I can come back and you guys will still be talking, but I did want to get to my women's rankings. I, I gave Ellie Purier an A plus. I mean, she came back last week, got second in Boston, almost set an American record, 3,000, 825-25. So after that, we knew, okay, she's going to be a factor, you know, post-pregnancy. I mean, there was no reason to think she wouldn't be, but hey, she was looking good. But this week, she just took it up another level, crushed Jessica Hole by two plus seconds. American record, 416-41. Actually equates better than her outdoor PB at 350s. 803, because it's the 357.4 equivalent. And I think this is a good sign because, look, do you guys realize how good the Ethiopian women are in the 1500 right now? I mean, they have the top six times in the 1500. 
indoors this year. And you've got Faith Kipiegon as well. So to be in the medal hunt, you need to be in like 354 shape. I think she's going to be in need to be in American record shape. And this is a sign, okay, can she get three seconds better between now and Paris? So A plus for her. I agree with that. I thought it was also impressive. I assumed she would lose to Jess Hull because she got out kicked at the end of last week's race. But the interesting thing in this one is Jess Hull was doing a lot of the leading in the latter stages of the race. And Paria, uh, sorry, Ellie St. Pierre, that's what she goes by now, her married name. She was just sitting on Hull and then she made the move at the bell and pulled away to win quite comfortably. Last week, St. Pierre led most of the race and Hull made the move at the very end and pulled away, not by quite as much, but she won. So I was like, this is kind of interesting that if I was Jess Hall, I feel like I would have just sat back and tried to do the same thing as last week, but she went for it and St. Pierre took advantage. Maybe this shows, you know, just the benefits of, of drafting or whatever, but I, I thought it was an impressive victory, especially because she lost to the same woman in the 3000 in Boston a week earlier. And obviously the time to be running this fast, you know, giving birth only 11 months ago. Everyone has their own timeline. Some come back more than more quickly than others. But I think we knew Ellie St. Pierre was going to be pretty quick coming back because at the Fifth Avenue mile in September of 2023, which was six months after giving birth, she ran 423. So I was like, whoa, she's back quickly and now she's better than ever. And I think one thing that helped her was last week was her first race, you know, on the track since childbirth. So she gets the rust buster out and does it here. You know, she did. She crushed Hull by over two and a half seconds. Now Hull did get an American, an Australian record. And one thing I noted: if you're a U.S. fan, you're a Grant Fisher fan, you're worried about him leaving Jerry Schumacher. What Jessica Hull has done has done since leaving Pete Joy in the Union Athletic Club is super impressive. I mean, she's run national records outdoors in the fifteen hundred mile and three thousand, and now indoor records in the mile fifteen hundred and three thousand. So she's just, and her dad's coaching her. So I, I think this is a good sign. It doesn't, it shows that you don't have to have some highly paid, you know, not Nike coach to be great. If you've got someone that knows you and has known you for a long time and, and can devote their full attention to you and actually, you know, tailor all the workouts just to you, hey, you can do pretty darn good. I gave Hole a, um, I know it was an Australian record. I gave her a B plus just because she got destroyed by 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 Perry. I'm like, if you're trying to medal in the 1500, which is I'm sure her goal, to lose to someone who's never medaled in the 1500 by over two and a half seconds, is not great. But you know she's running very very well. All right, Robbie, did you give a grade to Maya Ramston of Harvard? I know she was only eighth in this race, but she ran 424.83, almost broke the collegiate record set by Tui last year, and she did it one day after anchoring Harvard's DMR with a 429 in Boston. So she ran that race Saturday morning, then drove down in a van, gets to New York the next day, and runs 424. I thought that was worthy of a shout-out, even though she was a little farther back in the field. I did not give her a grade, but I'm glad that she's doing the team thing and the individual thing. I don't normally notice the eighth-place finisher, John, even if they are an NCAA champion, but that's, that's a cool story. Women's two mile, Wormure, I didn't know what to give her. I I mean, she won the race, 820, and it converts 914 two mile, converts 824.3, which is two seconds faster than her national record. But it, it's kind of like the Fisher race. It's like hard to get the finish out of my head. Like 
she did get out kicked convincingly by 22-2 world junior champ Medina Isa, who's still 19. So I know Isa was DQ because she did not she was supposed to run the first turn in lane four, and she didn't do that, so she cut in. So she ran like probably 10 less meters than everybody else. But I I, I gave her an A. You, think that, you guys think that's okay? Yeah, A. A, a or A minus, somewhere in that range, you know. Yeah, she also said, I mean, she wanted to make sure she hit the 3K world standard. So she said she got a little confused and kicked early, and I don't think it was a total beamish situation, but there was some concern about kicking a lap early or making sure you get a time a lap early. So might have effect, she might have played out the race differently if there wasn't concern about the world standard. But I assume she got the standard pretty easily. I wasn't sure like what the 3K split even was, but she did. It was the standard was 837. She ran 831, so she wasn't in any danger. Oh, that, that's funny because when she kicked, I thought that. I thought maybe she was thought she was behind the pace. It was weird on TV. It did look weird to what she was doing. All right, last one. I'm out of here. Maybe I'll come back. But uh, Alicia Monson, I know she got the American record. I know she pushed the pace in a lot of this race, but 909.70? Am I too harsh? I gave her a C plus. I said it was a fair day at the office for her. A is excellent. B is good. This is better than fair, but not good. Uh, I think you're a little harsh. I think it would be a B. I don't think you give her an A. Yeah, I know. Now I know it's an American record, but this is the women's indoor two mile, so it's not like it was the strongest American record in the books. And she she did what she had to do. But the other thing is, you got to take into account where she is in this context. She's gearing up for this big ten thousand at the 10 next month where she's trying to break the American record. She's trying to run sub 30. She also said she had COVID at the start of the year. So I think her reflection was like, look, it's, I, I tried to do what I had to do. I'm not going to outkick Laura Muir. And she was decently pleased with it, but she knew she wasn't in the same kind of three K shape as she was this time last year. So I think probably I'd give more of a B. She did break the American record, but, and given where she's at in training, but I, I don't think it's an A. And she was like three seconds off of what equivalent of her 3,000 PB. But I, I'm just doing it based on the actual race. Like her and Fisher probably don't want to be in peak 3K shape right now. It's like the marathoners. When they run too fast at the half, you're like, all right, what are you going to do in the marathon? All right, well, and a few other people that hit here, Nikki Hiltz stepping up to the two-mile, 915.80, fourth place. We don't have grades on paper, but... What would you give Nikki? Nikki wasn't very close to Monson. Not that I expected Nikki to be that close to her, but thanks to your conversion here, I see this is about an 834 3K. It's pretty good for Nikki. B plus, A minus. This this is a Nikki's event, but every time Nikki runs. Nikki does well. So pre-race spoke with Nikki. Some sort of like production crew. They're they're filming Nikki till through the Olympics. They started last year at USA's. So that should be cool. I also asked Nikki, how should we refer to these records? Because some people in that's run are like, this is the what she Nikki broke the women's whatever the record is, women's mile record, women's whatever. 
And she's like, why should you, gen- what? there's no need to gender them. Just say I broke the record. So I understand that thinking. But then also I noticed in the same conversation, Nikki referred to the other people as the women's, the women's mile. So I think it's, if, she's in the, if Nikki's in the race, we can refer to it that way. And it doesn't upset her. Upset they. See, I can't do it. Upset, upset them. It's, you, you always try no, to use that, they instead of them. It's just upset John, them. For me, John, you, j- 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 I don't even think about gender. It's sex. I have a daughter and she's female and will always be female. And how you dress or identify doesn't, doesn't change that. And my, the pronoun matches that for me. I see other people have it differently, but why do I have to change my reality? You know, it's like, I, I don't know. And also it's just, in my head, that's not how I think. So I'm going out of my way to say something. The, the fortunate good thing is when you're talking to someone 101, you never use a pronoun for them. If I'm talking to you, John, I'm like, hey, John, how's it going? Bubble. Because at first I was like, oh shit, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not out to offend Nikki, even though I view the world differently than, than Nikki. Um, but when you're talking to someone 101, it's actually, it's very easy. So that was nice. And I, I appreciated getting Nikki's insight on this because I think ideally we all have conversations about this and learn and get to a better place. So I, I think it, I'm excited about uh, any times. Like I think this is some big budget group. They were they're at Milrose filming her with like you know boom cams and all that stuff. So should be cool. Yeah, I mean in terms of running results, I would give it more of a B. But 8:34, given that Nikki's more of a 8:15 focused miler, that's still a pretty solid effort. So yeah, maybe B B plus. But they were fairly far back from the contenders in this race. But like, who, who's one of the people that Nikki wants to beat this year? Like Laura Muir. You at least want to be close to Laura Muir, right? And I know Muir is more of a... Well, Muir, Muir is actually a really good 800 runner too. She won a Diamond League 800 last year. But yeah, getting trounced by 11 seconds by Laura Muir, that can't feel good. But at the same time, Nikki ran like a very good 1K a couple weeks ago. So I... Uh, all things considered, I'd, pr- I'd probably give it like a, a BB plus. I also did note Nikki has entered in the 1500 of USA's. They were entered in the 3K as well, but have scratched. So perhaps the result on Sunday had something to do with that. Makes sense. If I were Nikki, I'd be running the 1500 too. That's a good point, John. I'm probably evaluating Nikki under like my old grading system when it was like, oh, it's cool if Nikki makes a US team. I've, Nikki's at the level now. It's about competing at the world stage. I'm trying to think who else is in the 1500 right now, but I expect Nikki to be on the team. That's how good Nikki's running. So, well, at least St. Pierre. St. Pierre might have, I think St. Pierre's probably moved ahead of Nikki. You know, oh, for sure. My favorite for the trials at this point. No question there. But Nikki's my, my two. I don't Who's the three? Oh, you got Sinclair Johnson. Addie Wiley, maybe. Oh, Never mind. <laughs> There's no guarantees. It's a tough event. U.S. running is getting so good. Um, so maybe Addy should run the eight. And Corey McGee, Corey McGee makes the team every year as well. Like it's not just. I know Nikki won last year, and if they're in that kind of shape again, they could win again in 2024. They also could miss the team. It's a hard team to make. And because at one point I was like, wait, Addy Wilder ran 157 last year. Is that right? Maybe faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe Addy should consider the eight. But no, the eight is like even better for the US. Speaking of the eight, Ajay Wilson was spotted at the meet. She always runs indoors. She always runs Milrose. Anyone knows what's up, let us know. But it'll be interesting to see what she can do this year. Um, I should have, if I had known Ajay was there, I probably would have tried to go up and talk to her because 
Yeah, she always runs an indoor season, and she's been talking about these sort of these mysterious health elements that have popped up at inopportune times the last couple of years, and has chosen to keep that stuff private. But it's clearly been affecting her performance because before then she was one of the most consistent performers around. And yeah, the fact that she's not running an indoor season in an Olympic year, either she's hurt or this mysterious medical ailment. I mean, the most likely two explanations would be that is impacting her or she's injured. So uh, we'll try to get more answers and maybe I can reach out to Ray Flynn, her agent, and get an explanation on what's, what she's doing. But I don't, like, for back to Nikki, I don't see any 3Ks for her ever for Nikki they under nine minutes. So it's not really an event that Nikki does. So but she need she Nikki, excuse me, needs the strength to to do that event, to be at the Laurel Muir level, the Ellie St. Pierre level. Sorry, just Nikki 2019 was what, like a 403 runner? I mean, I don't even know. She Nikki made worlds, but like sneaking on a team is very different from trying to contend at an Olympics. So the game has changed. Yeah, no, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why they chose the two mile in this event because look at how that 1500 is run now on the women's side. It's Faith Kip Yagon or it's Gudolf Sagai and these women are just blasting it. The winning time at Worlds is now going, you know, it's well under four minutes. You, you need to be strong to be able to do that. You need to run sub four in the rounds and again in the final to even come close to a medal. So, and that, that I feel like that, that might've hurt Nikki at Worlds last year. Cause remember they, they didn't run very well at the world championships and they won a su- somewhat tactical. It was like four or three final at USA's. Whereas the world championships, some of those semifinals and stuff were really fast and they, they didn't perform it as well as, you know, uh, I, I'm sure they hoped to. But like, well, all right. I'm going to actually pull this up. Do you know what time Nikki Hiltz ran in the semifinals of the world championships last year? Was she in the fast section? Every ran really fast. They they were in the fast section, yes. I did it again. I can't help myself. Um, I can't remember. But I think if Nick was in the other heat, she would have made off time, would have made the final. That's sort of my thing. Like everyone in, the, in that heat was faster than the other heat. Something Correct. like that. Nikki ran four flat point eight four. That got them lost in that race. It would have been first, that time would have been first in the other semi, but here are the first, here are the time qualifiers, or sorry, all, all, here are the qualifiers. They got rid of time qualifiers, so it was just top six made the final. 355, 355, 355, 356, 356, 357. So, to 357 to make the final. That's the level you have to be at to make an Olymp- Olympic final these days, and you've got to be strong, because then you've got to come back two days later and race after that as well. So I understand trying to improve your strength in this event. Times have changed. Morgan Euston of the US, John. I don't even know if you know that name. What do you mean? Of course I know that name. She was, the first summer I was going to Let's Run regularly, it was like, well, maybe it was 2009, but I was, I was regularly on the website in summer of 2011 when that was her big year when she was number one in the world and she was a Cornell alum. So yes, of course I know who Morgan Euston is. But you knew she was number one in the world because I just go look it up. I'm like, wait, this can't be possible. No, I knew because let's. You guys made a huge deal of it because Robert was still at Cornell at that time, and also there's this crazy thing where 
she never broke four minutes and was ranked number one in the world. And also, she fell in the world championship final. Like, that was the year Jenny Simpson won Worlds. But if Morgan Eusley hadn't fallen, could she have won? Like, it was one of the biggest what-ifs in American running that year. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy. But she never broke four in her life. It was world number one. And now four flats, like, whatever. I mean... Shoes, training, whatever you want to call it. All right, well, that's going to put a bow on Milrose. The 800s weren't really that interesting, so we're just not going to talk about them. Uh, so let's go. And the 60, we already said Coleman won that one. Uh, Julian Offer won the women. So anyway, let's look ahead. The USA North Championships in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Begin on Friday night. Picking the team for World Indoors in Glasgow, March 1st through March 3rd. And there are some really good events. We've got the big 60-meter showdown, Noah Lyles and Christian Coleman both running there. So that's going to be a big deal. Obviously, it's Coleman's specialty. He's the world record holder. He's the defending silver medalist. But Noah Lyles is in fine form, world leader right now, 644. So that's going to be a lot of fun. In terms of letsrun.com, Distance races are pretty great, you know. This is, I mean, I was looking at some of these entries. These are some of the best fields I think we've ever had in some of these distance events. The men's three thousand. You've got Kupatia, Yara Nagus, Abdi Hamid Noor, and Cole Hawker. When's the last time a U.S. indoor final had that kind of star power? Maybe twenty sixteen, when the U.S. was hosting World Indoors, but. That's going to be a fantastic event. Only two of those guys can make the team. The men's 1500, you have Hobbs Kessler and then Hawker and Tia are going to be doubling back from the 3,000 meters. Avdi Hamid Noor is also entered in that one as well. Um, so that could be kind of fun. Sam Prekel, who won last year. Those events are going to be fantastic. So I guess I want to start there. Like Men's 3,000, well then. Hawker, Tia, Nagus, and Noor. And I got you got Beetleskim as well, but I think the team's probably gonna be one of those two of those four guys. Who you got? That's easy, John. Nagus and Hawker. Next. Am I missing something? Like Well, the one thing you could be missing is this race is being held at altitude. Abdi Hamid Noor trains at altitude. Cole Hawker does very little work at altitude. I, I was, I feel a little bad because in my post-race interview with Hawker, I was asking about this altitude stuff because I was just curious. He hasn't really done much training since. He was supposed to run in Albuquerque a couple times the last couple years. He's seen, you know, in college, that was the COVID championships that never happened. And I think he was injured last year. So could that be an advantage? If Abdi Noor just tries to say, hey, I'm going to go out there and try to run as fast as possible and strength and break these guys. We know Cole Hawk is in great shape right now. He just ran 805 for two miles, but at 4,500 feet, how far, how high is Albuquerque in elevation? If Noah tries to do that, could he break them? That's the, he, I feel like he's kind of the wild card because yes, based on what we saw at Milrose, Nagus and Hawker should be the guys. Nerd is credit has run 1303 indoors which also discredit, we said it was like a, not that great of a race for him, which is 
sort of crazy. Shows how um, what the expectations are for that guy because, yeah, that's his PB, indoor or out. Um, that's a good point. So then Hawker freaked out because you're like, oh my god, you've never run an altitude before. No, he wasn't freaking out. He was like, I'll, I'll be all right. But I just I asked him like four questions on a row in it just to like sort of flesh out the details. I kind of felt bad because he had a great race, and all I'm saying is like. What about altitude in your next one? And I, I wasn't trying to be a jerk about it, but it, I hope it didn't come across that way. I think it's a fair question, though. Winning U.S. championships at altitude, and you're against a guy who trains at seven thousand versus a guy who trains at zero. It's it's kind of going to be interesting. Okay, we're gonna have a new ninety day moratorium starting tomorrow. Only questions athletes like will fist bump them and stuff afterwards. Like, yo, man, great race. You know, like a little more positivity. See what see what that does for us. Um. That's a good point about the altitude. So Nagus will be fine because he trains in Boulder all the time. You think? Maybe Nuri can make it. I don't think Tears. Tears the other. Oh, who else? Who's the fourth guy I'm supposed to throw in there? Yeah, Tear, and I mean, then you could also throw in. I mean, B- Morgan Bielskim ran pretty well uh, at BU a few weeks ago as well. Yeah, I, I think I picked Nagus and Hawker, but I also wouldn't be stunned if. Hawker just well, Hawker's always double pretty well at these events, though. But I wouldn't be shocked if like Hawker ends up making the team in both events. He declines the fifteen hundred to do the three thousand. Um, sorry, declines the 50, the three thousand to do the fifteen hundred. I don't know. Um, yeah, I would go to Goose and Hawker as well. But I got an eye on. I would not be shocked at all if if Nor makes that team. Men's fifteen. You picking Hawk, Cole Hawker or? Uh, Hobbs Kessler. Straight final, second day after the 3K? Mm-hmm. I'm taking Kessler. I think I'm taking Kessler, even though it was on the first day. But I just gave Hawker, what, with the rating earlier, I gave him like an A, a for that run in Boston and at Milrose. So I think both these guys are running really well. It's exciting because I think also, yeah. You, thinking ahead to the worlds, uh, uh-uh. you do not mess with that three k. You go run the fifteen hundred. The gold medals are there in the the gold medal is there in the fifteen hundred. Like an American could win the gold medal. Hopscotter could win the gold medal at World Indoors. You're talking as if this man isn't already a world road mile champion. Well, then the prestigious streets of Latvia will never forget. He could continue it. The greatest streak of American male miling ever. Right? We never had a. 1500 champion, right? Or am I missing somebody? Wait, World Indoors, you mean? Oh, we had Centro. Damn it. We've never had an outdoor champion like Kessler. He could keep the streak going. I mean, that would be pretty interesting. He's like going up in prestige. He wins World Road Mile. Everyone's like, whatever, it's a road mile. And they wins World Indoors, and it's like, all right, okay. But, you know, some of these big guns maybe won in the race. Whiteman wasn't there, and Ingebrigtsen wasn't there. And then he wins the Olympics, and everyone's like, we should have seen it coming. So this is step two. Um, I, that said, I think I'm probably going with Cole Hawker. I'm sorry. So this guy's like, I've seen Cole Hawker get it done in championships, and I don't. that's not to say I don't think Hobbs Kessler can, because Hobbs Kessler's only 20. He's still very young in this sport, but he hasn't done it. Like, Cole Hawker's won NCAA titles. He's won US titles. He's run well in the second day of back-to-back. I'll never... He's run well in the second race of the day. Like, I'll never forget his... 
mile 3K double NCAA indoors in 2021. He won the mile, almost broke the meet record, comes back, beats Colt Coupetier in the 3K. So I think he'll bounce back just fine. I have Cole Hawker actually winning this race over Hobbs Kessler, but I think they'll go one too. This is actually a really good race for Kessler. I think he needs experience racing. In high school, he's just better than everybody else. He doesn't have a lot of pro experience racing. So I think indoors is even better. Like the strategy is even more important. Taking on Hawker with a really big kick. Like he needs to try to figure that out. Maybe, you know, maybe Hawker will just have his number, but uh, your logic makes a lot of sense. But I still think this will be a really good race. World indoors, assuming he makes a team, will be a really good race. So I think this indoor season's shaping up really well for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's doing it because I think you can definitely get the benefits. And you want to, you know, he makes that world indoor team. I just think it helps. Like, you don't want to go to the Olympics and that's your first time ever at one of these global championships. I'm not I'm not really counting the world road running championships here. You just want to be like, okay, you know how to get through a round in a race. You know, they're going to have a prelim at world indoors this year. You want to know what it's like getting in this international travel, kind of going through all the, just all the things that come with competing in a major championship. It's nice to have some experience that way before just going straight to the Olympics. So yeah, those I would say the two best races, men's 15, men's 3000 from a let's run perspective, you've just got the star power. Ellie St. Pierre is also double entered at the moment. Um, I think she's probably the favorite. Josette Andrews is also running the 3000, but she'd be the favorite in that one. And then the 1500, Ellie St. Pierre, uh, Nikki Hiltz, and Addie Wiley. Addie Wiley's double entered in the 15 and the 800. So, anything stand out to you about those events? I, I think we could see Ellie St. Pierre double up. Well, I thought she would double up two weeks, two years ago in Spokane and got upset by Heather McLean. So, I'm not handing it to her. I wouldn't be stunned if Nikki Hiltz beat her in the 1500. I do think she's probably the woman to beat in the 3K, though. She's probably, she, I mean, she's the favorite in both events, I would say, the way she's been running the last two weeks, but I don't know. I guess my question, does she do the double? Will Ellie St. Pierre win both events? But you can declare, you don't have to run both even if you're declared, right? Correct. She's running great. I think she might do it. But then, John, we still have uh, the, the altitude thing that you've thrown in there. Nikki trains at altitude. Ellie doesn't. Yeah, but Ellie will at least do like stints at altitude, you know? Um, like, because one of the things about Cole Hawker, like, I don't think they even really do altitude stints. He might have done one or two in college, but they're basically sea level most of the time, from what I understand. I think I might start a thread on this. I mean, my, my running career was revolutionized when I went to altitude. Maybe I'm a huge responder. Also, like, I just started training more and more focused, that sort of stuff. But like, in a 1500, how much of a difference can altitude make? I don't know. I would love to, it's, I've written a number put on this, or is it more placebo? Like, you know, great, some great Americans never trained at altitude. Bob Kennedy, former American 5,000 meter record holder. It's a n- number one name that comes to mind, but go to altitude. You need to do it, I think, but I'm starting, I'm, I'm putting a note here. I'm starting the thread. Addie Wiley, for the A, there is a, there's two rounds, John. So, what's the, I guess I need to hear. We can hear the schedule. 
I would find it surprising if Addy Wiley would run both the 800 and the 1500. I feel like she'd just run one of the two, but... The schedule is the women's 800 prelim is at 448 Mountain Time on Friday. And then... The, no, the finals are on the same day. The women's 1500 finals at 2.58 on Saturday and then the 1500 finals at 3.25. So it's not feasible to run both. She'll have to choose one or the other. I think she'll probably choose the eight. Do you want to make the world's team or do you want to compete at what should probably your better event outdoors? It'll be interesting. I think I'd pick the eight. She ran two flat this year indoors. She ran 4.07 in the 1500. That's a better 800 time. Nia Aikens is running the 800, the reigning U.S. champion. So that'll be tough. But I think with Hiltz and St. Pierre in that 1500, I think her better shot to make a team is in the 800. I think she could make that team if you're Eddie Wiley. Yeah, who else is in the eight? Is Ra- Raven Rogers ran it. Milrose didn't look that good. Raven Rogers isn't entered. Uh, Allie Wilson, who won at Milrose, is entered. Olivia Baker is entered. But it, it's not a, it's not a stacked field. No, a thing, Mo. Obviously, maybe I should reassess. Uh, so what I said earlier, like, oh, the eight's even better than the fifteen for the women right now because, well, I assume I'll still count on Raven to get it together for outdoors. But there's question marks about Ajay. No, the eight's still better. You only get three spots. You've got the reigning Olympic champion and you've got the reigning Olympics bronze medalist who just was fourth at Worlds last year, Raven Rogers. That's two of the four best women in the world, Weldon. You know, when's the last time any woman from the US got fourth in a global 1500 final? I guess it was, I think it was Shelby Houlihan actually. Maybe she was fifth. Well, no, Shelby Houlihan was fourth, right? 2019? Me to be the encyclopedia, John? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I should, shouldn't doubt myself. Um, I, I guess I was asking about your Google skills. Yeah, Shelby Houlihan was fourth in 2019. That's the last time someone got top four. The U.S. regularly has two women in the top four in the 15, in the 800. So that's still the harder team to make. Outdoors. And he Aikens. Sixth place at Worlds last year. Remember? We were all on that train. And she had not run that fast but before essentially the final at Worlds. Where I'm pretty sure. I think she PB'd? Yeah, 150, but it, it just wasn't a factor at 157.73. But it'd be interesting to see sort of you know where she picks up, what she can do here, and presumably world indoors. All right. Well, it should be a great edition of the US indoor championships. I'm excited to watch this. I I'm really excited that some of our biggest stars, especially the men's middle distances are running this meet and plan on running World Indoors as well. I think that's great. Strike when the iron's hot. If you have a chance to go win a global title, go and do it. It would be now be even better if we could get like Josh Kerr in there, if Inga Brigson wasn't held, wasn't hurt. But I think there's going to be some buzz, especially like look, if you got Noah Lyles at World Indoors, he's going to make get some buzz in that event. If you get into Goose, and I mean, can you imagine? I could, I don't know if I would take Nagus of the Ethiopians in the fifty in the three thousand. Like they just they run so quick, but he's in really good shape. But it's not out of the question to say Nagus and Hawker or Nagus and Kessler like sweep the fifteen and the three k. That that is 
a possibility, right? A world end noise. Wow. The three K John, you're gonna have your hands full, man. Because I, I was thinking Josh Kerr. I want to see Josh Kerr go in there and take on like Gummer and Borega. How sick would that be? I mean, the three K could be an epic all timer. I almost want to see Kerr more go to the two mile than the fifteen. I think the fifteen he wins indoors is weird, but for some reason, after this run, I'm really impressed. I want to see what he can do with versus Germer, Brega, Nagus. Oh, and, and oh my God, if he were to take them down in Glasgow, that'd be awesome. You know, think how that'd be sick. I wouldn't even think about the home fans going nuts to like. Scottish people. Like, will they be, John, is the kilts thing, is that overdone? Or like, will there be people there in kilts? That's all they wear on a daily basis. No, there, there will be people, I'm sure there will be people there in kilts, but it'll be more of a like, lean into the, you know, you dress up for the occasion. It's not like this is their normal dress, but it'll be a chance for them to show Scottish pride. So I'm sure we'll see some kilts there. All right. Milrose. I mean, after Milrose, I was very excited about indoor track for the first time. I mean, I love the Olympic marathon trials. That had preoccupied my attention for the month. And then I hadn't thought too much about indoors, you know, a few results here and there. And then, like, the Kelvin Kipton news hit me on the train home. I just was like, it was just it sucked. I think we all went through it. Um, But I mean, if, if it teaches us anything, it's just em- embrace the moment, right? Like embrace these performances. Thank you, Kelvin Kiptum. You had a talent from God, man. You blessed us all. It was, it was very short, but I mean, that guy did, I didn't get to speak at the beginning. His marathon career was like less than a year. I didn't know. I, I mean, I legitimately did not know who he was, despite running 58 and a half or whatever he had done. I did not know him. Ten months later, he's the world's greatest marathoner and just doing stuff that astounded me. Thank you. My thoughts are, you know, family, his kids, sucks, man. Yep. But fortunately, life goes on for the rest of us, John. I mean, that's all you can say. No, it was a sad week in athletics, and it was really, really awful for him. I mean, there's never the timing is always never going to be good, but especially you think of what was on the horizon. This guy was in his prime of his career. We maybe even hadn't even seen his prime. You know, he's only 24. Maybe he gets even better, but he had Rotterdam, the sub to attempt in Rotterdam. He had the Olympic marathon. Those could have been two of the defining moments of his life to come. And he never gets to see them and we never get to see them. So yeah, life's precious. Appreciate every day. Happy I can be here doing the podcast with you guys. I'm always grateful for that. And uh, sorry, you know, I, again, thoughts to uh, his family in this, this horrible time. It's a, it's a, yeah, you know, it's a it's a sad day for Kenya. It's a sad day for the running world. It's a sad day for for anyone who knew Kelvin Kipton. All right, we'll be back later this week, Saturday, roughly seven p.m. Maybe say seven ten p.m. Eastern, live USA Indoor Championship reaction show. Sign up for the Let's Run.com supporters club. Let's Run.com slash subscribe if you haven't already. That way you can get it on demand. You don't have to join us live on YouTube. But we do love our live listeners always coming through with the best and most insightful comments. So until then, everyone have a good week. And remember you struggling with focus when you work, you don't want to try to sleep better. Check out brain.fm use code. Let's run all lowercase link in the show notes. You get a free week for f- one week for free.
So like, there's no risk. Try it out. If you like it, you'll save 20% thanks to us. Win-win. Talk to you later.